Hello and welcome, dear listeners of The Partial Historians. I am the one, the only, Dr. Greenfield. And I'm a rather diminished version of Dr. Radford. (laughs) (laughs) Rather, rather. (laughs) Dr. Radford is quite ill. I'm I'm surprised that she's here. I'm battling on (laughs) you. The power of history. Exactly. Keeps me going. The story, yeah. Mm, Well, I mean, we left on such a mysterious We left on a suspenseful note at the end of our last episode, didn't we? We did. Mm. So Hadrian had died. He had died, but who was really going to succeed? Exactly. I mean, he'd been all keen on this guy who, uh, when he was adopted by Hadrian, he took the name of Aelius Verus Caesar. But that didn't pan out, unsurprisingly, perhaps, given how ill he seems to have been when adopted. It didn't pan out. Oh, goodness. No, and he wasn't a popular choice anyway. Picking a sick man. Exactly. So instead, Hadrian had to find someone else, yet another person. And who does he turn to, Dr. G? Uh, well, not his family. Um, that would be crazy. <laughs> they've all been ruled out. Um, he seems to turn to somebody that he's relied on in the past, um, mm. somebody who has proficiency as a able administrator. That sounds wise. It does. Uh, uh, the rather, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say necessarily old, but uh, senior. <laughs> Distinguished. Distinguished, yeah. Silver fox. Yeah, silver fox. Let's go with silver fox. Um <laughs> A, a gentleman known to us later on as Antoninus Pius. Um, but at this stage, uh, Titus Aurelius Fulvius Subonianus Aureus. Um, <laughs> as you are. As you are. Yeah. Uh, he is adopted in late January of 138. And, and this is kind of seen as um, one of Hadrian's, I think, best acts. Because not only does he adopt Antoninus... He makes Antoninus adopt a couple of people as well. Having been wary, having been called out um, with a previous... Yeah, <laughs> he learns his lessons. A possible successor dying on him. Um, one of the caveats of adopting Antoninus is that Antoninus himself must adopt a couple of people. Yes, and not those... just anybody. <laughs> not just anybody. Uh, one is the son yep. of the first guy that yeah. was that was adopted um so commodus's son yeah who will become known to us as lucius Verus. lucius Verus, yes. yes and the other perhaps a little bit better known the, the these other days. the other one is marcus aurelius yes mm. heard of him the mm. gladiator mm. Mm. yes and uh marcus, marcus aurelius. aurelius one of uh, the favorites of hadrian Ooh, Ooh. What does that mean? Are you trying to hint at a sexual <laughs> relationship? I don't know, Ooh. but apparently Hadrian used to refer to Marcus Aurelius as uh, verissimus, fairest. Well, <laughs> you wouldn't think of it to look at Richard Harris in Gladiator, would you? No, no. Well, no. there it is. No. <laughs> there's history, and then there's what really yeah. happened. And Marcus Aurelius was uh, also connected to Antoninus Pius. Um, somewhat well, well, he becomes connected, yeah, effectively. So one of the things that happens: so Hadrian dies, yeah, uh, Antoninus becomes the emperor, and it's it doesn't seem to be enough from his perspective that he has adopted Marcus Aurelius yeah. and and Lucius Verus. He wants to really lock that down. He wants, <laughs> yeah, he's like let's let's seal this deal in other ways as well, and. He has his daughter, Faustina. Mm. Um, of which he has two. Both called Faustina. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, I mean, there's the wife, Faustina, and then there's yeah. the daughter. Mm. Um, he's not marrying off his own wife. No. <laughs> Lucky. Uh, maybe, yeah. um, but he does marry his daughter, Faustina, to Marcus Aurelius. Forces Marcus Aurelius to break off a previous engagement. 
in order to make this happen. So suggesting that there's some sort of particular interest in making sure that Marcus Aurelius is locked into the family in a number of ways, not just through adoption, but also now through marriage. Perhaps he showed the most promise. Well, it's clear that Marcus Aurelius is now the favoured adopted son. Yeah, because I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, I mean, I've heard uh, people say that Hadrian really was interested in making sure that Marcus Aurelius is the one to succeed. Like, that's mm. why he, he set things up the way he did. The Antonius mm-hmm. Pius was really just going to be the caretaker. Oh, and, ouch. Well, let's face it, you know. He lives a lot longer than anybody expects. Exactly, yeah. I mean, being kind of an oldish guy, <laughs> Silver Fox, <clears throat> sorry, uh, when he comes to power, yeah, you might think that, okay, maybe he's in power for like Well, 10 years yeah, we've so. seen a lot of people drop off in their 60s. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, yeah. He just keeps going. He does keep going. He does. He, for about, yeah, nearly 30 years. Uh, yeah. And I mean, he's, not, he's another one of these emperors where we really have basically nothing to go on but it's exciting because he's italian <laughs> uh, so thank god get rid of those pesky foreigners forget those foreign emperors um, too much scandal and boy love going on for my liking <laughs> let's head back into into latin latium and, and pick somebody from there um somebody who's got a rich italian history and family from like transalpine gaul so he's not like exclusively italian um but, but established but established in italy in a family way um and so he sort of comes into this role in 138 ad just in case anyone was wondering where we're <laughs> up to with t- dates and whatnot yeah the adoption process is started in january and completed by late february so there's like this whole process of the adoption thing um, Adrian says to him, do you want to be adopted? And he says, hmm, I think I do. <laughs> I believe I shall. <laughs> and then and then Hadrian dies in July of 138. Just in the nick of time. Well, at least he's tied everything up. Exactly. And so Antonius becomes the sole imperator at that point in time. Yes. Um, he has to sort of do a little bit of um, forcing um, when he first <laughs> comes into the position. Yeah, poor Hadrian. I mean, look... He might not have always got it right, but he really did a lot of good things to people. <laughs> well, and the, but the Senate is just not that into him, really. They're really and... not. And yeah, he has to like force them into force giving, them, yeah. giving him honours after his death. Like, whereas the Trajan, they're like, you know what? Not only will we give you what you asked for, we're going to give you more than you asked for. <laughs> when it comes to Hadrian, totally different story. Yeah, so I mean, he, he wants to have... Hadrian consecrated and sort of turned into a god. Um, as is becoming kind of the norm. As is the wound yeah. of, for these sorts of things. And he wants to also have the mausoleum finished. Ah, uh, the, grand, mausoleum. the grand building. Yeah. Um, and reputedly, um, it's Antonius's persistence in ensuring honours for Hadrian that is one of the sort of rationales behind this idea that he... He picks up this epithet, yeah. Pius, uh, <laughs> Pius, yeah, um, the dutiful son. Either that, or the Hadrian saw him being be- uh, being dutiful to his own actual father <laughs> before he died. Yeah, like there, there, there is controversy <laughs> there. Um, hilariously, uh, the Historia Augusta, that elusive fourth-century source <laughs> um, that that contains so many of our heady details. Uh, provides an exceptional number of possible reasons for why Antonius might we have must acquired get to the bottom of this mystery. The epithet, which really does nothing to help one out. Um, but nevertheless, the list is pretty interesting. All right, hit me with it. Yes, well, 
First of all, they say things like he he's deserving of comparison with Numa Pompilius, the original king of Rome. Wow. In the mythic sense. And he was rather a peaceful follower to the warrior-like Numa is like the lawgiver at the foundation yeah, of the exactly, city. Yeah, exactly, um, So that's that's your first heady compliment from the Historia Augusta. <laughs> I can barely hold on to my seat. <laughs> so, but to get into the reasons uh, for why he might have this epithet. Yes. He was given the name of Pius by the Senate either, first option, yeah, because when his father-in-law was old and weak, he lent him a supporting hand in his attendance at the Senate. Yes. Uh, or, second reason, <laughs> because he spared those men whom Hadrian, in his ill health, had condemned to death. Oh, poor Hadrian. More Hadrian bashing. <laughs> or, option three, because after Hadrian's death, he had unbounded and extraordinary honours decreed for him in spite of opposition from all, the one that we just flagged. <laughs> or, fourth possibility, when Hadrian wished to make away with himself by great care and watchfulness, he prevented him from doing so. Aww. The old, I want to die, please somebody stab I'm me. I'm disgusted with life. <laughs> Come on, someone take a sword and end it. No, no, no. Keep living. <laughs> or, fifth option. Dear God. I know. Well, and final option. <laughs> the list is nearly done. Uh, because he was, in fact, very kindly by nature and did no harsh deed in his own time. Yeah, they all, they all sound as likely as the other. I mean, how the hell are you supposed to but know? the last one's like, wow, what a sweetie. Well, I mean, that's kind of what the sources all tell us, isn't it? That he is just so nice all the time. And, well, I, w- I wonder what that says about Hadrian. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. He is, he. you know, other people in this, you know, list of the five good emperors thing, you know, are... Uh, Trajan's known for his being expansionist, energetic, and all that kind of stuff. Family man. Yeah. And Marcus Aurelius, you know, is wise and (laughs) diligent and that sort of thing. Antonius Pius is good. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a really nice guy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he he doesn't really even have that much uh, bothersome business to attend to during his long reign. A lot of our source material is about him going to dinner parties. Yes. With friends. Which tells you something. Having a good time. Yeah, exactly. And everybody appreciating his wit and good humour. And happy to go to his parties as well. Um, <laughs> what a jolly little time. Uh, yes. So he seems like a really nice guy. Uh, importantly, he does the very opposite of Trajan and Hadrian in the sense that he doesn't go anywhere um, nice. as, as emperor. He's it's hanging like, around. I'm emperor. Shooting the breeze. And here I am where I'm meant to be Rome. Uh, <laughs> look one. Slash look Italy. Yeah. <laughs> um, he really does do almost nothing everything everything that he does within his reign he does through proxies um which is perhaps why i I perhaps shouldn't lament so much that the fact that we have so such crappy sources for his his rule what are the good sources going to tell us i don't know maybe they were uninspired to write during this period no i mean the story augusta is just sort of shoveling on the praise he's apparently quite handsome so silver fox is a definite possibility here good good Uh, a natural talent um, natural talent. In, in what one one might ask, it doesn't specify. Maybe they mean like talent <laughs> and a kindly temperament. Oh, mm. calm in nature, a gifted speaker. Of course, of course, <laughs> dutiful. I think that that really goes without saying by this point yes. in time. Nice to all his family, which is why he uh, seems to have been enriched when any of them died. Like, anyway, I want to leave my fortune to that young man. That one, he's nice. <laughs> yes, conspicuously thrifty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what to make of that. Conspicuously thrifty. No, I'm not buying a second T-bun. 
And I want everyone to know it. <laughs> That's called saving. Um, You'll thank me later. <laughs> and interestingly, we start to get back into really sort of standard narrative stuff for emperors, which we haven't seen um, yeah. for Hadrian, which is stuff to do with like omens yes. and prodigies, suggesting that Antoninus will become yeah. the imperator. Future greatness. Yeah, yeah. And so we get a few of these. This idea that a priestess accidentally hails him as imperator prior to him coming into the role. That could have been a costly move. <laughs> yeah. Um, the idea that uh, somebody cries out, God save thee, Augustus. Um, <laughs> also prior to coming into the role. I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, the oops, gods made me it do it. It just came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, interesting prodigies, uh, whether you'd read them positively or negatively, I would leave to somebody who's far got far greater expertise in prodigies than I do. <laughs> but I do like the idea that they're in a churia, a whole bunch of jars that have been buried under the ground suddenly appeared above ground. <laughs> Goodness me. And what? Jars to be filled? <laughs> and not only that. But also, in Etruria, a whole swarm of bees settled on all of his statues. Wow. Mm. What do I, hmm. Is that when Napoleon was fond of bees? Bees, my friends, bees. <laughs> uh, I don't know quite what to make of that myself. But I, I do quite like it. Not only that, a marble bull found hanging in his garden. Okay. <laughs> As you do. That's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Surely. Well, it's made of marble. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be upset. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, what do any of these pretend? Only good things, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, that's just the thing. I mean, we have this sort of narrative coming through the Historia Augusta. Can mm. we trust it? Who knows? Because, I mean, the Historia yeah. Augusta, for those of you who don't know, it's a rather strange it's a, source. It's a very odd source. It's controversial. Scholars argue about it. It's basically a collection. It's kind of meant to be taking over from our beloved Suetonius. Uh, Filling in the gaps and yeah, exactly. so taking Su- on what he left behind yeah, undone yeah. because he died. Yeah. <laughs> or he got fired, one of those. Oh, so, yeah, so yeah, yeah. he finishes with, with what we have left, finishes with Domitian. Mm. Um, so the Historia Augusta starts off with Hadrian. Why not Nova and Trajan? People mm. ask this question all the time. Are they missing? <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, they start Did with Hadrian. Did Suetonius write them? Well, mm. isn't that an intriguing question? Mm. But it goes, it goes down. It was basically something that seems to have been compiled quite late, and it, it, they, it's, a, it's claimed to be a compilation, basically, of six different authors. Yeah. Well, this is this is interesting because it's controversial. Um, there are some scholars who are very much in line with the idea that look, there are different authors yes. contributing to this text. Yeah, like you look at the style and there's differences and yes. blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the predominant school of thought now tends to be that it's probably one overall compiler. Yeah, he was lying about... <laughs> not, well, not necessarily lying, but indeed maybe the entries had been written by different people. Yeah. Um, but there is somebody who is the overall editor of the work, sure. if you yeah. like. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And yeah, most people go for that one author point of view. Mm. Um, so yeah, basically we're left with basically a pretty dodgy source that most people <laughs> don't trust. That dates to the end of the 4th century yeah, I mean, AD. There are, there are lots of weird moments in this source where things get repeated mm. uh, and where there are like, these weird sort of inaccuracies, which is why people <laughs> look at it as a dodgy source. Luckily for us, earlier on it seems to be a little bit more reliable and informative. Less dodgy. Yeah, yes. I, I mean, and the other thing that's weird about it, maybe in a good way, is that 
the empire is about to enter into quite a troublesome phase. <laughs> um, and it, they basically start to include in this source biographies of like usurpers and stuff. Mm. So not just emperors. Yeah. People who are trying themselves out. Yeah. Which don't is, succeed. Yeah, which is really interesting. And it basically, you know, <laughs> some people think that, you know, the Historia Augusta therefore has this overall theme about sort of legitimacy. <laughs> you know, how do emperors establish themselves? Where do they get the legitimacy from? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I think it's sufficient to say for, for at least for Antoninus that he is legitimate. Yes, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, I mean, and, and that's just it. They're sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel with him because they're constantly talking about, I mean, things that the Senate and stuff would have liked. The fact that he keeps acting like he's a private citizen. I'm always suspicious when things are remarkably uncontroversial. Yeah. Too good to be true, you think? Mm. I don't know. I mean, we have some various source materials that we can rely on. Bits and pieces. Coinage yeah. uh, for Antoninus Pius. Uh, we have um, some brief references in Pausanias uh, that can cross-reference. And some Marcus inscriptions. Aurelius, yeah, Marcus Aurelius himself as well. He also um, brings up... He has like a little bit on his, his father, his mm. adoptive father, in his, uh, in his writings as well. And he really has nothing but praise to him. I mean, as if you slag <laughs> off, you know, this guy. But he talks about how... Probably not for the best, considering he was your adoptive father. Yeah, kind of odd qualities, though, you think, for an emperor, saying, mm. I observed his meekness. Ah. His constancy without wavering in those things which, after due, after due examination, he had determined. His laboriousness and his assiduity. His readiness to hear any man that had aught to say tending to any common good. How generally and impartially he would give every man his due. His skill and knowledge when rigor or extremity, when indulgence or moderation were in season. Mm. Yeah, so all this... Like, he just... It is a bit over the top. Uh, yeah, and maybe it's because he's genuinely a nice guy. Maybe. But it, it feels like we don't have enough source material to make a really good judgment call on something like that. I think that. we're jaded. Well, possibly. <laughs> um, what is interesting um, in terms of... The sorts of things that Antonius Pierce gets up to yeah. uh, is that he's interested in continuing the wall building uh, nice. phase, if you like. <laughs> this is now becoming an imperial thing to do. Like a hobby. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and so although he's, he himself is not leaving Italy, um, the people out and about in the provinces that he's directing uh, are building turf walls in Britain. Nice, yeah. <laughs> Uh, heading around um, uh, and constructing walls in other areas as well. I think I had a reference here somewhere. Nice, nice. nice. That's nice. a weird for your reference because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Cough medicine is taking its effect. Oh, goodness. Well, that's no good. Um, <laughs> I thought there was at least a second one. Oh, no, wait. Look, I found my reference. He, he also <laughs> carefully maintained the imperial post. Ah, we're back to my. Oh. <laughs> We're back to my favorite subject. I feel like this is. There must be numerous and systemic issues with the imperial <laughs> post at this point in time because, frankly, all of the emperors have given this a whirl. Hey, pre-internet. Pretty important, <laughs> would you say? Oh yes, but seriously. And he also gives out donatives to the people and the soldiers. Um, which is why very he, very good standard yeah, emperor fair. absolutely and he even establishes an order for destitute girls Aww. named in honour of his wife who dies quite early in his reign actually yeah about three years into his reign his wife dies sad um, it is sad 
One, because he, he honours her quite substantially. And second of all, because there are rumours before she dies. Rumour um, has it! <laughs> <laughs> that she was loose living. Uh, mm. I think it's going to be a trend with women with that name. Oh, well, possibly. <laughs> I'd hate to foreshadow. Um, but this this sense in which he he's the good guy who sort of bad things sometimes happen to in his personal life. Um, and he, he but he does a lot public. of yeah. he does a lot of community good and sort of soldiers on. Um, he does things like when people people sometimes left legacies to the emperor um, because you know it was kind of I guess expected perhaps mm-hmm. from some emperors. But he's like, no, no, you know what? If you have kids, you should keep that money and give it to them. Yes. Yeah. And you know he does uh, very traditional. Uh, things and this is sort of harking back right to the start of the Prince of Ed itself is refusing the title of uh, Pater Patriae, Father uh, of the Fatherland. Until he has actually earned it. Nice. Yes, nice yes. Touch. And then when he does get it, uh, he apparently gives an elaborate speech saying thank you. <laughs> thank uh, you. And I really, really, really <laughs> thank you. And despite the the possible um, rumors about his wife, uh, he makes sure that she's deified after she dies and has a nice cult touch. instituted for her. So, regardless of what her reputation was while she was alive, he does all of the right things for her in death. What a pious guy. What a dude. <laughs> um, so, it's unfortunate, I suppose, when he, when he eventually dies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess everyone was just sort of kicking back and relaxing because, I mean, what Everything's else is going Everything's going on? so smoothly. Yeah, exactly. The Senate love him. Yeah. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any controversy. No. Everyone's getting along. There's lots of dinner parties. He sadly, uh, if we're well, speaking of dinner parties, mm. apparently it was after he ate some alpine cheese. Yes, well, he was at a dinner party when things started to go downhill. Yes. Uh, he alpine ate, he cheese. ate too much alpine cheese. I wonder, wonder when, when they say alpine cheese, are we talking like wild goats, I wonder? That's what I had in my mind, mm. yeah. And so uh, he becomes rather ill during the night and becomes rather feverish the next day. Something in the cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, things, things take a turn. Um, they keep going downhill. Yes. Um, he, he talks to his daughter. Uh. He sort of sets things up going, okay, so, mm-hmm. you know, I trust my daughter to Marcus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sets things all up so that there's no chaos when he dies. Yeah, so, you know, arranges these fortune, these private fortune to be transferred to her and, yeah, and then eventually sort of just passes away. And so the Senate deify him quite readily. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Yeah. Surprise! And once again, talk about how he was devout and merciful and intelligent <laughs> and righteous and he was the best of emperors. Oh. Yeah, so that kind of brings yeah. us back to Marcus Aurelius, who we've talked about before in connection with Gladiator. <laughs> yeah, so Marcus Aurelius is the last in these adoptive emperors, as we mm. talked about, because he then lets the throne, the throne, whoops, <laughs> sure, the imperial purple, uh, pass to his son Commodus, rather mm. than adopting someone else in. Um, and it's really, I mean, for some people, perhaps following in the line of Gibbon, it's after Marcus Aurelius that the empire starts to go. Starts to take a turn for the worse. Yeah. That's all about perception. And and also to do with source material to a yes. certain extent. Um, obviously, we're finding it difficult at this point in time to say anything about Antonius Caius other than what is in this story, Augusta. Yeah. Um, and we simply don't have a different read 
on I know, and the hysteric the gas, we know that hysteric gas is not the most reliable source but what is the alternative but i'll tell you what's in it because it's all we got yeah um but how much we can rely on that for what is actually happening here and and how does that stand as a comparison to when we get into the emperors that come after this adoptive phase concludes with the death of Marcus Aurelius is anybody's guess and it's really up for grabs in many respects yeah definitely and so with the death of that pious, <laughs> pious man and we, the passing yeah. to Marcus Aurelius, he's going to rule for another 20 years or so, <laughs> we, I suppose we, we, should, we should say that we're going to be taking a break from this line of emperor study. Yes, yes. If you have any suggestions, let us know. But uh, we're going to be looking at more general things, I think, for a little while. But we will, of course, return. Shake it up. Yeah. Shake it up. Shake it. Shake it. <laughs> shake it like a Polaroid picture. <laughs> No, 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 no. I've been getting all my songs. <laughs> you have, you have. <laughs> just when, just when my voice is least capable. Yes. Well, thank so, you for bearing with me, listeners. I apologise for my illness, but I hope you enjoy. I hope you get well soon. Well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. And I hope you have a good trip. Mm, mm. Yes, yes. I, I will be sojourning overseas. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing some libraries. Indeed, and some original statues and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, museums. Hello. <laughs> Hello, treasure. <laughs> <laughs> nice maybe I should take a picture of myself with the boss, yes. I think you should. Mm. <laughs> anyway, we shall return with more interesting topics in a short period of time. Predictably, two weeks. <laughs> Farewell. 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 